so simple and yet so profound that through and in Jesus Christ that God is living and dwelling among us. And over these last weeks, we've taken time to to begin to dwell and to reflect and to think on that truth that the peace of God, the hope of God, the joy of God are among us in a new and profound and dynamic way that's never been experienced before until the birth of Christ. And today we focus on the truth that in Jesus, that God's love dwells among us in a new and profound and deep way. In a way that it has never dwelt among us before. And so this morning we're going to, to take a journey through Scripture and we're going to focus on John's Gospel as, as we've been there, but we're going to take a few steps to get there. And so first let me encourage you to take your Bibles. There's a few Bibles there in front of you if you don't have one of your own. And we're going to go to Psalm chapter 89. And Psalm 89 begins this way. It says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. Isn't it glorious and wonderful to sing of the Lord's love, of His kindness, of His covenant to us? And oh, that we will get to sing of that love forever. And how glorious it is to join together during the the Christmas season and and beyond that on Sundays to, to gather in worship and to sing of God's loving kindness together. That we will sing of His loving kindness forever. Last Wednesday night, there were, there were three vans of folks that we met over at the Family Life Center and, and made our way out to some of the uh, assisted living, nursing homes, some of the, those that uh, just would like a friendly visit, and some of our, our senior adults, and went by and just enjoyed singing Christmas carols with one another. It was a glorious time to sing of God's love forever. Now, the group that I went with was, it was my family, and uh, I think the Baileys and uh, the Lawrences were with us, and Chuck kind of took, took a lead, and, and so we were there singing, and, and we were at Rivermont, and we were singing. It was glorious. It was wonderful, and, and uh, Chuck began to lead us in a song called the first Noel, and so I'm standing there, and I'm singing, and we're singing loud, and it's oh so glorious, and all of a sudden, I, I, as I sing out in that beautiful chorus, folks began to stare at me, and, and people in the group start looking at me, and finally Chuck elbows me, and he says, wait, he said, turn the music upside down, it's upside down, it's not Leon, Leon, it's Noel, Noel. Is that all right, Chuck? No. <laughs> it, was, it was as bad this time as it was the first time I heard it. <laughs> Sorry about that. But let's continue to ring Psalm 89. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. This is the Lord saying, 
I have made a covenant with my chosen, my chosen people. I have sworn to David, my servant, and I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Isn't this a beautiful promise, a beautiful prophecy that through the line of David, that God will bless his people forever. And therefore, let us sing of this loving kindness as often as we can. Now the struggle and challenge of this psalm is that it was written as Jerusalem was being destroyed, as the temple had been destroyed by the Babylons, and as the the, the leadership, as the young men and the young women of that, that nation, of that people were being exiled into Babylon, and only the poor were left to remain in Judah, in Jerusalem, to care for the crops that might come up. You see, the the future of Jerusalem was in question. The future of God's people, whether or not there would even be a future for God's people, was in question at this point in the history of Judah and of Jerusalem. And yet, God makes a promise. He promises that through David, through the line of David, is that my people will be blessed forever and there will be a leader and there will be a kingdom that will continue on forever and forever. Wow. What a promise. What a hope to have in the midst of the destruction of the day. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we pick up with the story. Twelve generations later, we read in the genealogies. Let me catch up with you. In Matthew 1, verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, after this psalm would have been written that we just read, after the line of David was in jeopardy, Matthew comes to remind us that the line of David was still intact. And look down in verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And then we continue to read in verses 18 and 19 and 20 how Mary, the fiance of Joseph, had become pregnant and how how God had worked His miracle and how through Mary, how through this child that would be born, that God would be among us. That this son's name was to be called Jesus and that He would be Emmanuel. That He would be God with us. And so the angel of the Lord simply reminds Joseph of this prophecy and he says to Joseph, when this child of yours is born, call him Jesus, for he will be Emmanuel. God with us. Why? Why in this Story. Why at this point in history? Why was it necessary for God to become man? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be born? Why was it necessary for Emmanuel to dwell among us? 
Have you ever asked that question? Why? Why did God need to be present? Why did God need to come to the earth to live? Again, as we've been looking out throughout these last weeks and focusing on the story of John 1, the Christmas story that John tells us, John would ask the question this way, why, why did the Word have to become flesh and dwell among us? Why is it that God had to come and live? Why is it that the Son of God had to come and dwell among us? Take on flesh. And you see, there can only be one answer to that question, I believe. Why did the Word become flesh and dwell among us? For love. For God's love. But we need to understand that what we are talking about, what the Gospels are telling us, and what particular, in particularly what John is trying to help us to understand, is this is a new kind of love. This is a new kind of love that the world has yet to experience and know in its fullness. And by sending His Son Jesus, this new kind of love will be perfectly manifested in our midst among us. John introduces us to this new kind of love. And the first time he mentions the word love in his gospel is found in that most world famous verse of John 3.16 when the scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life, would have life eternal. And here in this beautiful passage, we are introduced to, at least in the Gospel of John, for the first time, this idea of agape love. A new kind of love. Now let me clarify that there's really nothing wrong with the old kind of love, right? The love of friendship. The love of brotherly love. That Greek word called phileo that we get our, our city's name, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There certainly is nothing wrong with this idea of brotherly love, a phileo type of love. In fact, our world desperately needs more of it. But something is happening here in the Gospel of John, with God loving this world in a new and different way that we need to take note of and we need to understand. In John 5, verse 20, the Scripture tells us that the Father loves the Son, that the Father God loves, the Son of God loves Jesus. And in John 5, 20, that word love is this word phileo. That God the Father phileo, He, he loves His Son, but He uses this, this worldly kind of love. And, and I want, think He's trying to help us to understand what are some of the differences here with a phileo love versus an agape love. Not diminishing phileo love, but elevating its agape love. And notice in John 5.20 the Scripture says, that the Father loves the Son and the Son, excuse me, the Father is showing the Son all that the Father is doing. 
Can't you just see a, a father and a son, a, a mother and a daughter? And there's that teaching moment where the, the mother or the father is showing their child, teaching their child, and you can just see that love and that affection. And this is the picture we have here of the father loving the son, is, is the father is showing his son, he's showing Jesus all of the good things, all of the work that he's about. This phileo type love is, is a revealing love. It reveals to the son, it reveals to the daughter, it reveals to the friend that which you want them to know and to understand about love and about life. When we move into John chapter 11 and the scripture tells us, Jesus, Lazarus, the one that you love is sick. That's that word phileo. Jesus loved Lazarus. And later in that story, as Jesus comes upon that, that tomb and, and those around them are weeping and crying over Lazarus' death, the Scripture tells us in John 11 that Jesus cried, that He wept at Lazarus' death. And the verse right after that, John eleven thirty six says, And the crowd looked around and they saw how much Jesus loved him. Phileo. You see, phileo love is a love that reveals, but it's a deep love of friendship. It's a deep love of affection and of emotion. And in the loss of that kind of friendship and love, there's a great sadness. But now notice that the next time that John says that the Father loves the Son, it's in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Let's read that just very quickly. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, the Father agapes me. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. And no one has taken my life from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. So here what we discover is that the father loves this word agape, the father loves the son because the son has laid down or sacrificed his life in obedience to the command of the father. Agape love is a love that responds sacrificially, a love that responds obediently to the love and the commands of God. So much so that later in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I want to make sure you understand, disciples. I want to make sure that all the world understands and knows that I love the Father. Why? Because I do exactly what the Father commands. Jesus takes time to tell His disciples that I want you to understand that I agape, that I agape my Father. And the way that you'll know, and the way that you'll understand that I agape, I love my Father, is because I obey His commands. So now we can see this, this shift, this change, this elevation of this kind of love that God says that He loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. He gave His Son as a sacrifice. In John chapter 13, 
Verses 34 and 35, for the first time, for the first time in John's Gospel, John wants us to read these words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love, that you agape one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, for the first time in John's Gospel, we are told that we also are called to agape each other. Just as the Father loved the world by giving His Son, now Jesus says, if you're my disciples, you will practice this same kind of love. In fact, Jesus says, this is such a new and radical kind of love. It's not phileo. It's not the kind of love that everyone else practices. It's not that good and wonderful love that you see even in your relationships with each other. But now, the distinguishing characteristic of what it means to be a Christ follower is that you agape, you love one another. This is a new commandment, a brand new commandment that will distinguish you from those in the world. The only way that this love is possible is through Christ, who tells us in that same place that we are to love each other, we are to agape each other as God, as Jesus has loved us. Okay, so... So how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus demonstrate His agape love for us? How did He demonstrate His agape love for His Father? Well, by obeying and by laying down His life. In John chapter 15, look at verses 9 through 14. Just as the Father has loved, now this is again, in these later chapters, John is focusing on this agape kind of love. In verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, the Father has agaped me, the Son, I have expressed and shared the same kind of love for you. Abide in this love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. He's restating that commandment that we just saw in John 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that a beautiful and powerful and significant passage? And then in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Greater love has no one than this. Greater agape, greater love that you would lay down your life for your friends. That you would obey the commands of Jesus. And don't you see that here's the connection. Here's what we've been looking for this morning. The connection says this, that obeying the commands of God, obeying the commands of Jesus always leads us to lay down our lives for each other. 
This is the kind of love that God is calling us to. This is the kind of love that God has exampled us and manifested to us through His Son, Jesus. So that in John chapter 12, notice what Jesus says. He says, He who loves his life loses it. But the one who hates his life in this world will keep it unto life eternal. Did, did you see that? The one who loves his life in this world, that grasps and hangs on to his life in this world, will ultimately lose their life. And oh, don't you see the world around us, in our families, in our homes, we are so desperately trying to grasp on and hold on to life and to love, and it slips through our fingers every time. The one who loves his life will lose it. But the one who hates, I think in this context what's being said is the one who lays down his life. The one who gives his life up. The one who gives his life over for others, that serves, that sacrifices, that gives his or her life unto someone else. That is the kind of love that will last forever. And this is why agape love is never selfish. This is why agape love is never controlling. This is why agape love is never abusive. By definition, agape love is demonstrated through sacrificial acts of laying our life down in obedience to the commands and the example of Christ for others. And this is what Christ is doing for us. This is why as we look at that babe in a manger and we understand and we begin to focus and concentrate on the love of God dwelling among us, this is where our thoughts and our hearts and our minds are to go to. The love of God is among us through Christ and now Jesus says that we're to abide in that love. We are to rest in that love, to remain in that love, to obey, to be present in the love that God has for us. And notice what happens if we will remain, if we will abide in the love of God. Verse 11, we've already read it. If we will abide in the love of God, then my joy, the Lord says, will be complete in you. In chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. You see, when we abide in the love of God, what we discover is that we also abide in His peace. And we also abide in His joy. This is the meaning of the question why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For you see that in Christ the love of God is among us. The Word became flesh and the Word laid down His life for us. The agape love of God is that which breaks forth on Christmas morning in the birth of Jesus Christ 
our Lord and our Savior, bringing eternal life to all who believe and a new kind of love that even today is changing our world. As such, let us lay down our lives in obedience to God. And in so doing, let us live in the fullness of His peace, of His joy, and of His love. Let's pray.